Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Right, so welcome in to the Cores and Chords podcast. I am your host, Sean Cavanaugh, joined by a very special guest today. It is Joe Barksdale, former NFL offensive tackle, national champion at LSU, and now musician, electric guitar, shredder, and player. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. Kind of want to just jump. Yeah, kind of just want to jump right into it. Okay. I know you, obviously people probably, you know, kind of judge you in some ways as an offensive lineman. You're a huge NFL player. And during your NFL career, pretty much still had a lot of years left. You hung it all up to inspired by maybe Jeff Fisher a little bit, the legendary NFL coach, and some other things in your life to just drop it all and pursue music, pursue mm-hmm. electric guitar. What made you do that and what kind of started your musical journey? Um, I'll say it was a combination of things. <clears throat> One thing was, and it's funny because someone asked me this on the podcast. I think part of it was just I was always on losing teams. It's hard to continue to, you know. Yeah, I know. I was, I'm a Rams fan, so I remember oh, that remember. season. <laughs> um, and on top of that, uh, you know, as you're losing, you know, you look at the scoreboard a lot because usually you're on the sideline because they're running the ball in the fourth quarter. Anyway, we were playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I remember looking up. This was during the season, my last season, and – I remember thinking, like, man, you know, it takes two fifty-three man rosters plus whoever's working in the building, plus promotion, plus the front office staff, all that kind of stuff, to sell out the stadium. What eight times a year? Yeah. And Taylor Swift and I looked, and there was a Taylor Swift ad. She had a concert in the same stadium that was sold out three days in a row. First of all, that's a flex. Why are you pumping something that's already sold out? I can't get tickets. <laughs> like, second of all, that's significant. You know. Um, that is someone who is effective and, um, you know, that's, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be as effective. Um, on top of that, I met, I had met Kobe Bryant, I think the season before, or maybe that season. I don't know either. Maybe it was, I don't know. Either way, he had become like a mentor and I asked him why he, when he didn't knew that it was time for him to retire. And he said, you know, when I was, thinking about more about what I had going on off the court than on the court. I'm doing the game a disservice, doing myself a disservice. And I'm like, that's real, you know? Um, But those are probably the two things. And I guess the third thing would be just wanting to have a voice. Uh, I mean, as you know, you know, you can only say so much about anything, you know, when you're playing the NFL. Um, Like I remember when Eric Gardner got killed and I wrote, I can't breathe on my cleats. And the equipment manager was like, it's going to be $10,000. I'm like, $10,000? You know, like you didn't have a voice. Um, So I wanted a voice, you know, and I wanted to. uh, I wanted to be what I wish that I had earlier in life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so much that I want to unpack and we'll do it in this conversation. But just jumping off a little bit, isn't the fine structure in sports insane? I know you guys make a lot of money when you make it to that level, but just the fact that we so casually throw out. $10,000 $10,000 for writing something on your cleats. Where do they come up with these numbers? I have no idea. <laughs> they, uh, I, I have no idea. It's insane. So with what you're saying, though, about football, and obviously football is the biggest sport in America, and it's so iconic, and you see it all the time, but there's something about 
it being a helmet sport where, you know, you were a successful NFL athlete, but I'm sure, you know, just people maybe given your size, they'll be like, oh, he might have played football, but it's it's hard to reach a level where you're so recognizable by face. You know, you see football commercials all the time. Guys mm-hmm. are wearing their jerseys in the commercial. Even a guy like Von Miller is in an Old Spice commercial, but he still has his jersey on so people can have that recognition. So what about music specifically is was something that you latched on to to think, oh, I can have a bigger voice there. I'm not behind a helmet, obviously. But what are some of the other more abstract things about music that made you think this is a path that I can be, as you said, more effective? It seems to be the only effective method of communication that I have with people. Um, the only consistently effective method of communication. Uh, you know, when you're having conversations one-on-one, I am on the spectrum too. So just, you know, when your brain is hardwired different from most of the people you're talking to, it's going to be very difficult to try to communicate your thoughts to these people or even ask questions or anything. Um, but people seem to always, you know, understand what I'm trying to say. If there's like a song that says what I'm trying to say, or if I write a song that says what I'm trying to say. So, um, it really became a way for me to communicate with people more than anything. And then also like, I can feel sounds, um, as well as hear sounds. And I want to make music that you can feel too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, in my young career, I've focused mostly on like sports journalism and covering sports and stuff. But one of the things that always brings me back to music and has made me realize like, maybe I should pursue trying to just dive into his music as much as possible, whether it's learning guitar or talking to musicians like yourself is it has that power to communicate across even like cultures and stuff. You know, you watch a favorite band and they have a set that's somewhere in Brazil or somewhere in Denmark and the crowd still connects in the same way, even though those cultures are, so far apart. So do you have an example of maybe a time where you had a message that you kind of wanted to convey, especially growing up in football locker rooms where it was so football just has a culture of, you know, keep it in power through if something's hurting, you just go out there, lace them up and power through it. Do you have kind of maybe your first realization of whether it's when you picked up a guitar or something musically where you're like, Oh, I can express myself in a way I haven't before through music. I want to keep doing this this way. Um, I would say the first time, uh, well, the first time that I figured out that I could express it was probably when I figured out I could express it well, it was probably sometime around like my early years in the NFL. I found out about this band called, um, the mountain goats that they had this song called no children. Um, I mean, it's a really dark song, but, uh, I remember it's about a breakup, but I remember listening and thinking like, wow, this is exactly how I feel about myself. And I use that song sometimes to like try to put in the words, like, you know, what depression feels like. It feels like if these two people are still living together. Um, so, yeah, I would say that was probably the, the first one um, that I felt like had a significant that I felt had a significant connection to. But I mean, all the way back to I can remember the first like Marvin Gaye song I heard Mercy, Mercy, me in the dentist's office when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I remember how I felt when I heard it. You know, I remember wanting to hear more. And like, that's what I want people to feel like when they hear my music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you grew up in Detroit, obviously a city that has a rich music history. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were growing up and you've been open about kind of some of the struggles that you went through as a child, do you have connections? Do you have memories how music kind of helped connect you and kind of get you through your childhood? Because I know like for me, obviously, you know, struggle with 
bouts of depression here or there. You had like really, I had really, you know, dark times here, just like everybody does. And not that I ever got to a point, you know, having the darkness of like suicidal thoughts and things like that. But there are moments where I've had the thought where if music didn't exist, I don't know if, you know, I would still be here in that way. That mm-hmm. it has, when I look back and I think of all the times of like the hardship or the, you know, the hardest parts, slowest parts of my life, I always think back, yeah, music got me through this or this band got me through this or this song got me through that. So do you have kind of the connection? Is that where your love for music came from? Is it that childhood and growing up and kind of the rich music culture of Detroit? Do you have those little moments, like you said, in the dentist office where music kind of got you through even at a younger age before you even started playing guitar? Yeah, I got those moments. I mean, I pretty much like, key memories and songs um you know like i can listen to certain songs and go back to a certain time in my life that kind of thing um so in that way music has always been like a sonic journal um but yeah uh i can yeah i can go through a list of songs you know um that you know have affected me in one way or another that remind me of different times in my life like like when i was in college i was a senior in I was a senior and, um, you know, a football senior <clears throat> trying to get ready to get drafted, trying to get better. During the season, I listened to Jay-Z's The Blueprint 3 almost every day. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I listen to that now, I can go back to those kind of things. Or like, you know, if there's a death or something in my life, um, I usually listen to like, you know, some kind of indie rock band because indie rock band seem to get it. Um, but yeah, so... I would say that that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's most of what I do, you know, when it comes to listening to music and stuff like that, it's all associated with certain memories and times. Um, but yeah, I would say I use it uh, in Detroit. I think I would have latched on the music wherever I was, you know, I am mm-hmm. thankful that I was able to grow up in Detroit with the history, but I feel like I would have found the same music if I had grown up in Omaha. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And I definitely get that with the indie rock, too. That's kind of my favorite genre, too. It always goes back where even if it's a band you don't know, sometimes you stumble across a song and just hits you in a certain way. Like you said, they mm-hmm. always just kind of get it. Exactly. And, um, and because they're going, huh? they can say what they want. I said that because they're independent, they can say what they want. Yeah, that's very true. Is that something that you pride yourself on? Because I know if you go like the credits, listening to some of your albums, doing some research, it's always you're kind of like the record label at the bottom. Is that something you pride yourself on? Yeah. Um, just because I'm giving myself an opportunity to find my sound, you know, which I feel like I found now, but I feel like it's the difference between being able to find your own thing and having someone tell you what you should be doing. Um, How much of that came from struggling with those moments in the NFL where you write something on your cleats and they say no? Most of it. I think most of it just came, yeah, because, like, before the NFL, you couldn't say shit in college. Oh, sorry, can you cuss on the show? Yeah, yeah, you good. Okay. You couldn't say shit in college. And before college, you couldn't say shit in high school because you was going to lose your scholarship to college. I'm like, it's, you know, just been years of being able to only talk about, like, a couple of things that don't even matter in the bigger scheme. Um, but, yeah, that was a big part of it, you know, going from feeling like uh, – you know, another number to like feeling like a person. Yeah. You know? And how freeing was it when you kind of found that voice in music coming from that football culture where I've always had this strange, I mean, you know, I only played until like my sophomore year of high school because I was too slow and too skinny to keep going. But 
I always struggled with the culture of football. You have to be so expressive. You know, it's one of the few sports where you're yelling things on the line. You know, there's so much communication going on. You have to work together. It's the greatest team sport, um, or at least one of the greatest team sports there is. There's so much internal communication and like bonding and things like that. And yet there's this culture of keeping everything internalized. It's always seemed like kind of contradictory to me where it's such an expressive sport. We kind of have to be full go emotional to even play it well, because you have to have that mindset to run into another guy's face across from you. So how freeing was it for you to come from that and just be like, Oh, I can fully express all of my emotions. It's not just, you know, the controlled anger of, blocking a defensive lineman coming at me. It was that moment of, oh, I can, every thought I have, I can say freely. I was never really big into emotional football. I found out at a young, I mean, a young age, when I was like in college that like, you know, emotion only lasted like a couple plays. At the end of the day, you can't rely on something that's so unreliable. Um, I've always been a fan of, you know, cold calculated technique. Um, so that being said, like, I was never emotionally expressive in football, especially because I wasn't fucking winning. So, but, um, <laughs> so I, yeah, no, I was, I, I was never expressive in football to begin with, but I would say, like, the best parts of football were when I was able to listen to my music alone. Yeah. So. What was on your pregame pump up list? We'll go from high school, young song you remember, the college, was- and then NFL. Okay. In high school, I don't really remember anything in high school. I'm pretty sure there was probably some Lil John and the East Side Boys on there. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> uh, some Blade Icewood, Cheddar Boys. These are Detroit rappers. Yeah. Uh, Eminem. In college, Gucci Mane, Young Dolph. Um a lot of Gucci Mane and Young Dolph, and it's the same in the NFL. Gucci Mane, Young Dolph, uh, Young Thug. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of like, a lot of upbeat hood rap. That's- yeah. Did you have, which <laughs> is, I mean, perfect music for that. I remember, you know, stupid white kids before a lacrosse game, we'd have all that stuff on our pump up playlist too, you know? I feel that. And I would listen to, like, I would say outside of rap, I would listen to gospel, especially on Sunday, well, in, in general, to try to make myself, like, more grateful for being yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I completely get that. I was actually talking to my buddy the other day, and he's very strong in his faith. And I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I was listening to, uh, I don't even know the name of the song, but it's like, our God is an awesome God. He ran. And I, I remember I was listening like the Hillsong version of it and just like nodding my head. And at, I was like, this would like get me pumped up to like play sports and stuff. It has kind of that emotional was, state to it. I was like, this, this song slaps. Because I, I listen to it and I'm like, all I hear in the background, none of this matters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How hard was that for you, though? Now, it was incredibly difficult. Um, I mean, I being autistic, I don't really like working in teams. Yeah. <laughs> and I play like the super team position. Oh my God, I used to hate it so much. But at the same time, it was cool. Like the people were cool. But I just, I never liked working in teams. So I would try to listen to this gospel music to remind myself that none of this mattered. And I would, <laughs> like, man, we all gonna die one day anyway. I mean, that sounds real suicidal, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what the St. Louis Rams in the early 2000s will do to you. 
Nah, this is what being mentally ill, undiagnosed, and undiagnosed autistic, why plan on losing teams to duty? While someone is smashing into your head every play. While someone's smashing in your head every play. Now, with music, though, do you have a moment where you've kind of seen it heal? Because you're talking about all these things that you didn't even know you were struggling with. Did you have a moment where you've seen, it may not even be you, someone else, where music healed I've heard, Yeah, I've heard from other people that, like, songs that I've written have really helped them out. Open feel seen and that kind of thing, which is cool. Um, but myself, not really. I mean, you know, I continue to work on myself and go meet with the therapist and that kind of thing. But um, I mean, some of my illness comes from biological things that ain't gonna change. Yeah. So some of it I won't heal from. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So has music you know, helped you cope though? Yeah, music definitely helps me cope. Um, in fact, this album that's coming out later this year, Yours Truly, I wrote it. Um, I wrote it last year, like coming out of the, you know, the the dark, the thickness of the pandemic. I guess mm-hmm. I would say um, it's a very you know self expressive and honestly a very vulnerable album. I went back and listened to it uh, <laughs> a couple months ago. I mean, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, woo. I'm dropping this. Oh, it's already uploaded. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you already got a schedule. Can't take it down. All right, for sure. Well, let me. Well, yeah, it's very honest. Um, I find that the more honest I am, because I mean, like, you know, like as a man, you you think to yourself that like people don't want to hear about my struggles. People don't want to hear about my, you know, emotions. Like, that's not gonna make me a leader or make mm-hmm. me, you know, whatever you're trying to be. When in actuality, it's the complete opposite. Like, because you're so open and, you know, that makes you, like, relatable and people can, you know, connect with you easier and what you're trying to say. And, you know, like you said earlier, people feel seen, people get yeah. healed through the music. And that's that's what it's about. Exactly. And do you have um, kind of a, I guess, that journey of, because you started with electric guitar, you know, which is obviously it's music and it's, songs and stuff but it's not when you add lyrics and you add kind of your own songwriting to it there's a different expression of what's going in your head because we kind of as humans you know most of us who are able communicate through words and kind of that's our deepest expression sometimes so what was that like when you started adding your own lyrics writing your own songs and beginning that journey as a songwriter how did that kind of change your outlook on music did it help you even more did it kind of make you fall in love even more with the music or has it always been rooted in kind of the guitar and the sounds, the sonic things? Like you said, you even hear sounds differently than some of us. So it actually always, it, it, it's evolved. And it's funny because like, what has it been, three years since I retired, I think? Yeah, 2019. So if I went back three years in time and told myself then what I'm doing now, I wouldn't believe it because mm-hmm. like, I retired to be a guitar player. That's that's what I was trying to be. Like a guitar player, I want to be known as a guitar player, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that like I could sing. So that's when I started writing music. That's when I started writing lyrics to the music. The thing I've the thing I've always been the most proud of though is the music, like the mm-hmm. instrumentation before you even throw words on it. Like that's what I'm always the most proud of. But you know, from from singing and songwriting, you know, you have a clear picture of the sounds that you want to hear. So you learn how to play bass and then you learn how to play piano. 
and you learn how to use a drum machine. And before you know it, you compose an entire, you know, tracks by yourself. And so now I'm a producer and a singer songwriter and a musician, you know, um, so you're I was in that class, three oh. years, man. <laughs> I'm still yeah. on guitar and like barely learning pro tools over here. <laughs> I use logic. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to have. a. Yeah, no, I've been told that I picked the wrong one. Yeah, like every time I hear Pro Tools, like granted, I only ha- you know I'm only hanging around like analog musicians right now. So you know, bass players, drummers, yeah, uh, piano players. But every time you hear about Pro, pro Tools, <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> pro Tools. What kind of music do you uh, make? Well, so far, like all I've had is just I have my guitar and just kind of like strumming along, and like my friend and I sometimes just screwing around instead of kind of like freestyle rapping, we'll just come up with songs on like guitar and stuff. And I've realized like, Oh, I can, not that I'm, you know, gonna maybe do what you're doing or even make this a thing, but just for fun, you know, i kind of wanted to learn more about how to how finalize that, it, how to make it. How do you think this started? Yeah, I know. You think I started playing guitar? I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be a professional producer. Like, nah, like, I mean, this started off as for fun too. So yeah. So don't limit yourself. Exactly. So I was just, kind of wanted to learn during the pandemic, you know, unemployment times, just trying to pick up new skills and learn. I love music more than anything in the world, even as much as I love sports, music is still always above it. So I wanted to just learn a little bit more how to create it. So yeah. music production, obviously things now are so digital that I wanted to try and figure out. I've so far been a little bit, like you said, Pro Tools has been a bit intimidating and I've been taking this class. It's kind of been overwhelming sometimes. But like you said, there's ways. There's so many YouTube videos out there. I can't limit myself to keep chugging along. So, yeah, nice. But you can give Logic uh, a shot. But yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hit so, you up for some lessons. For sure, um, yeah. Especially with guitar. Actually, I started with GarageBand. Yeah. Um, because it was free. Uh, it's right there. Yeah, and once it got to, once I was like, okay, I need more. You know, then I moved to Logic, but yeah, try GarageBand is free. Yeah. Now, starting because you started with guitar, and as any anybody listening to this who's ever picked up a guitar is like, I'm gonna learn guitar, especially during the pandemic. I'm sure those numbers climbed a lot. Oh, the first sure. thing that you you get through, right, and the first thing you have to get through is your fingers hurting. But if you make it past that stage and you start strumming some chords, and you know. As the saying goes, anyways, here's Wonderwall. You can play Wonderwall. You can play Island in the Sun and be that guy at the party. The one thing, if you make it past that first block, the second block is always a bar chord, right? As soon as you get to bar chords, that's usually where a lot of the next group of people falls off. But watching you play, that's something that because of your massive offensive lineman hands, that's something you've kind of had a different way of approaching. So how did that kind of come across for you and how do you play? It's something I stole from uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, now, did you steal that from Jimmy because you had to, because of it just wasn't working functionally, or because you're such a big Jimmy fan and he's such a huge influence that you just no, wanted yeah. to play like him anyway? Yeah, if I had to make regular bar chords, I don't think I, I don't think I know I wouldn't be playing guitar right now, like because it's such a it's such a pain. Okay. <laughs> But pretty much what I do is like if you play a regular bar chord, um, what's G major? Yeah. So as opposed to like having my hands like this, I just do like this. It's the same. It's the same sound. Which yeah. even just looking at it, like I know is so much easier. 
Yeah. Because you have that ability to loop your thumb, which some people do, like they kind of mute the top string. I know Chris Martin of Coldplay, who's my favorite, kind of my Jimi Hendrix for you. He kind of does some strange things with the guitar because he wasn't classically trained where he kind of just plays his own thing. And he'll loop his thumb around to mute the top string. And I've like tried it sometimes in my hand. I've got to work on my hand dexterity. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it takes time. Like I wasn't able to do this the first the first go around. Like, like you said, you have to work on hand dexterity. Yeah. But like I'm pretty much playing uh, all these chords except for this A chord because I'm using my thumb to push this to push that down, to um, use the top note, the root note, bottom note. I don't know, man. This, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I guess this would be a root six bar chord because the root's on the six. So this, yeah. the six is the bottom. So yes, the bottom note. And talking about Jimmy, how much of an influence was he on you starting and just kind of talk about your first connection? I know reading articles and stuff, which is a common reference for Jimi Hendrix, is the Monterey Pop Festival set. What was your first reaction, kind of your first visceral memory of when you fell in love with the work of the legend, Jimi Hendrix? I was actually about to stop playing guitar because I'm like, if this is all there is, I started off in blues. But I'm like, if this is all there is, three chord progressions and <laughs> just playing these chords the same way, this is this is weak, you know? Yeah. Um, and around that time I saw, because I mean, you... <sighs> especially like where I'm from, black guitar players are either playing blues or they're playing like, you know, three chords a song and some soul ballad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, there's got to be more, you know. Um, at the time, I didn't realize like Curtis Mayfield played guitar and these other people. Yeah. But I saw the Monterey Pop Festival set and I was like, man, I want to play guitar like that. That's that's exciting, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad I learned how to do that. Uh, what I was a fan of was the comping and the improvising and that kind of thing, which took me down a deep, dark road of music theory. But on the other side, you know, <laughs> you can be who you want to be. But yeah, that's that that was that was it for me. Watching him and watching uh, Dwayne Alm, listening to the two Dwayne Almond solo and play, I was like, man, I, you know, I want to be melodic like this. I want to be able to these dudes just look like you know they can see the guitar differently than the rest of us you know yeah um, so i wanted to get that familiar with the instrument and be able to play that way is that something you kind of identified with of that perspective of somebody seeing things that was different than everybody else kind of when you say you're on the spectrum and how you viewed football definitely not in the way that most people viewed football and some of your perspective on things of always thinking i see things this way and a lot of people don't see them the way I do. And then you're like, oh, Jimmy does that with guitar. He sees the guitar in the ways that nobody else does. I think it's more... I think it's more like the feel of the music. Like okay. with Jimmy's music, especially like the first album, it sounds very like frustrated and angry. And like as an angry person, I definitely connected with that. <laughs> um but then as you listen to more, you start to pick up on the melodies and, you know, the good side of you gets attracted to the music as well. Um, but that's, it's more about how the music made me feel and how it, um, how I put my emotions in the sounds. And the same with the Almond Brothers. Uh, and it's funny, I, I mean, I remember listening, I didn't find out about the Almond Brothers till like, like I was in the league. Like, I mean, it was probably like 2015. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was kind of the same thing, uh, a different kind of feeling. Theirs was more, it felt like more like flying, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to be that, you know, super melodic player that, you know, had chops, but at the same time, like, you know, this is a really good player, you know? Um, yeah. And just listening to your stuff, those chops really come out. I think my favorite song that I came across was the extended cut of dreams where oh, you just shredding. What can you talk a little bit about that, that production, where that came from, where, you know, just a, not even a couple of years earlier, you just started learning guitar and then you go back and listen to that song. You're like, wow, I made it to this place where it's like a full, you know, jam band, just absolutely shredding. Like you said, it's all about the music. It's not even, you know, a typical song. It's an extended cut where you're just jamming out. Um. So, yeah, that was actually a one take. Uh, it Dang. was in the stu- Nardo Michael Walden studio. Shout out to Nardo Michael Walden. Um, it was in the studio and... I think we were like warming up or something and I asked him if he had heard the song called dreams and he was like, no. So I started playing it. Um, and I just started playing it on the guitar. I was going back and forth and like Nardin looked in the uh, booth and was like, <laughs> <laughs> roll, roll, everybody just join it. Like, and that's how it started. Um, and that's how we record. <laughs> and that's how we recorded it. I wanted to. I remember listening back to it because I I become a real perfectionist with the music, but not to a detriment because I've seen it destroy people's music before. Yeah. Um, but like I wanted to go back and add different solo parts and that kind of thing. He's like, it's fine. Like it's it's, it's fine. <laughs> you know. Um. So yeah, that was actually like the one time I've ever done that in the studio. It was pretty. It was a live recording. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a live on the spot recording. It was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I was kind of wrap, wrap, wrapping up here. Um, you've obviously been in football for a long time. And like what I've been trying to do with this podcast and some of the ideas is that intersection of sports and music. And one of the best ways, I think, at least in this country, that I saw those moments is with college football. And you went to LSU, a rich, rich college football experience. There's a lot of traditions around college football, especially with music. You know, Virginia Tech comes out to enter Sandman. They play jump around at Wisconsin after the third quarter, things like that. Fight songs are such a big part of it. But I think one of my favorite music traditions in all of college football is when they let the band play neck down in Baton Rouge. Do you have a memory of that song or just any moment from Tiger Stadium where you were listening to it and just sonically were blown away of whether it's even music or just the crowd singing or making noise? I was just about to say, not the music, but definitely the crowd. Like, yeah. I remember multiple times where I would think to myself, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to hear when I'm 40. Like, there's no way <laughs> I can't, I can't hear the dude next to me right now. This can't be good for my ears. <laughs> that time you're so impressed that like, it's just a bunch of people. There's no music playing. It's just people screaming. Yeah. These people care a lot. You know what <laughs> I mean? This is, I mean, it's, 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 what's the word? It's captivating, you know? Um, but I would say, yeah, like it was, <laughs> It's funny, if I had known that I would never have a home crowd again, I, <laughs> <laughs> I would have relished it so much more. <laughs> well, it's hard to live up to that. You know, I remember Joe Burrow was talking about going into Kansas City. He's like, dude, this is nothing. I played at LSU. Yeah, that's true. But you did have a rough go, you know, with the yeah, Chargers little, and those Rams years. Touchdowns and being a threat to the home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, man. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, like I said, like if I had been winning, I don't even think we'd be having this conversation because I'd still be playing. Yeah, God uh, works in funny ways, right? It's true. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. They say so. We'll see what happens, but yeah, no, I. 
I don't think I've ever been to a place louder than LSU. I mean, Alabama, get, I, I'm not going to lie. I haven't been to these new stadiums since people have added seats, but I'm sure it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know if I ever go to another football game until probably I'm taking my daughters. Is that on purpose? Nah, honestly, I just think about like things that I would rather be doing. You know, like even if I'm traveling this football game, I could be here working on some music. Yeah. I could be here writing new material for the stand up stuff. I could be writing stories for my storytelling show. I could be writing more pages in this book. I could be writing more poems. I could be doing, I could be. You know, I would say I could be being a dad. But it's like you can take your kids with you to the game. That's true. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good dad and not take young, young three year olds and five. Yeah, they don't need to go to Baton Rouge yet. <laughs> not yet, no. Um, but you know, like that's, and I think that's just the logical part of my brain. Like sometimes I just think about like what I could be doing just from a logical standpoint. And like, yeah, these, this is, this would be more beneficial than that. And I mean, yeah. too, like you're talking about a football game in the stands, you know, them seats weren't made for me. And then you, <laughs> Not many seats are, right? That's true. Yeah. And like, you, I don't want to deal with all that, man. Like, it's the same reason I don't go to concerts. Like, I, yeah, I, that's the best part, too. I remember, uh, I mean, I go to a ton of shows, and one of the things that some of them always say, it's like, thank you. And they're like, no, no, really, like, all the, the best part of like, the concert's amazing and we want to give you everything because we know how much BS you have to go through just to get here with the traffic and everything. So, yeah, I kind of relate to that part of it where, you know, there's a show like, say, I live in Orlando. There was a show in Tampa last week. And I was like, do I really want to drive all the way out there as much as I love the music? And I know it's going to be a great time. I won't regret it. But I say no, because all the BS that comes with it. But this is how bad it is. I live in the city. This is well, not in the live city, music capital of the world. And I'm like, no, I'm straight. Like, <laughs> I've been to one, con two concerts since I've been here. They were both at the uh, Austin City Limits. Uh, one yeah, of the Moody Theater. Yeah. One of them was the Hall of Fame induction for Buddy Guy. And the other one was the Experience oh. Hendrix concert. Both times I was backstage. There's no way I'm standing. No way I'm going to be out <laughs> See, there. Once you're, once you're an NFL player, you get, you get a taste of that VIP. You can't go back. It's, it's too hard. It's I'm going to be... It's I'm going to be an offensive be. lineman, 6'5", huge guy in the G GA pit. Come on now. Nah, man, it's not about, it's not a, uh, what was I about to say? It's not about being an offensive lineman because, I mean, let's be honest, like in football, I don't know if I know who I am. No, you know I didn't I mean, mean like, I didn't mean because of like your status. I meant just, you know, your it's, it's a crowded place. Big guy, it doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it better because everybody wants to know what team you play for. Yeah. You're like, I don't play football. And then people feel offended. Like, you don't lie to me. Like, wow. You just <laughs> We're in Texas. What do you mean you didn't play football? Exactly. How can you afford to be in the steakhouse? <laughs> wow. No. Are you a rapper? Like, no, I'm not a rapper. Two chains? Okay. But anyway. <laughs> True. Uh, uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your journey with us. Uh, as we wrap it up here. Go ahead, plug. You're a comedian. You're a poet. Like you said, you got music coming out. You said the album, Yours Truly. If you want to plug anything, tell people what's coming up musically for you and other stuff going on. Yours Truly is coming out in August, uh, August 31st. I hope I didn't misquote that. But I'm saying August 31st with a little bit more confidence. 90% sure. <laughs> I'm not about to pull up the email, but it's August 31st. We're dropping two more singles in between now and then. Um, Who Loves You, Baby, and My Angel. Um They'll be a month apart, you know, before the album. Um, so June, July. And uh, 
yeah, you can go to JoeBarksdale.com. Honestly, you can just, at this point, you can Google search Joe Barksdale and obviously like the football stuff will come up, but you can go from there because there's not many, you know, former NFL playing, autistic, mentally <laughs> ill, advocate, you know, musician, producers. <laughs> you have your own lane. <laughs> yeah. So just Google. <laughs> at this point, like just Google Joe Barksdale. That's crazy because one day I will be able to be like, yes, Google Joe. I mean, I guess that is the day, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it'll be like people will Google Joe Barksdale and like the music stuff will come up or like. Yeah. You know, that no, it already does. I, I was doing it the past couple of days researching for this. So, oh, nice. That's just, see, that shows you. I don't even Google myself. I just hope, you know, even on your Wikipedia page, which I know is a bad place to start, but it's <laughs> where we go. It wasn't the only thing I read, I promise. That it, your first, oh, no, I love Wikipedia. Wikipedia, the thing about Wikipedia that teachers never understood was that Wikipedia always had the sources listed in the exactly, box. Exactly, exactly. Oh, now, use Wikipedia as a <laughs> whatever. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Your music stuff actually comes above your football. So, Joe, I really, really appreciate the time. Really appreciate you sharing some of your musical inspirations and your Thanks journey with me. And uh, go ahead. Let's do his podcast on the Believe Network. Like he said, Google his stuff. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a podcast called The Comfort Zone on the Believe Network. It's um, a mental health podcast that looks at mental health through the lenses of the arts, and uh, entertainment, music, sports, and comedy. There you go. He's a man of many, many talents, not just a football player, as the quote goes. He's showing that he can be much, much oh, more no. than an athlete. That's true. <laughs> All right, Joe, I really appreciate the time. That's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening to the uh, Chords and Chords podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all the things you know what to do. Tell your friends. Thanks a lot, Joe, and we'll see you next time on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I look forward to coming back. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.